Good morning, God speak. Happy New Year. <clears throat> yeah. It's awesome. We don't have any announcements today, and that's refreshing for the new year already. <laughs> Nothing like announcements that you must endure to know what's going on in your life. And uh, if you uh, have brought your Bibles, I just want to give you a heads up. For three months, I'm doing a little experiment with the NLT, New Living Translation. And so if you're uh, in your New King James and you're reading along, the words are a little different, same context, but uh, it, you might be like, hey, what's going on? Did I just, have you ever had that experience of going to a church and you don't know what translation the pastor's using? You open your Bible and you're like, no, wait, wait, the words are just in a little different order or whatever that might be. So that's my disclaimer. We are reading through and finishing today our Anchored in the Word series where we read through the Psalms, Proverbs, and the New Testament every single year. And we're finishing today and reading Revelation, these last two chapters, 21 and 22, are about heaven. And so I'd like to give you a, uh, be your tour guide for heaven on this last day of 2023 as we launch into 2024, because this is a reality, and it's either a very encouraging reality for you, depending on what your spiritual condition is, or it's a discouraging one, and that is there are someone in this room here that is not going to be with us this time next year, you're going to be in heaven that we're talking about. Now, some of you are like, thank you, Jesus, <laughs> right? I want to be delivered. And I've discovered that it's really in line with the proximity of the difficulties of my life, how much I long for heaven. How about you? When life really sucks, we're like, Jesus, take me home. Beam me up, Scotty, I wanna go right now. But if you're fat, dumb, and happy, and you just got the raise, and you got the new bed, and life's good, you're like, whoa, this is awesome. I'll talk to young people, and young people will tell me, Pastor, I really want Jesus to come. They're like 16, 17. I really want Jesus to come, but, but I want to get married first. And I said, I am a happily married guy, but I promise you, you want Jesus to come. <laughs> and then... And then the married people, they go, oh, pastor, I really, I really want Jesus to come, but we want to have kids. And I said, I love kids, but you really want Jesus to come. <laughs> because everything just amplifies in your life when you're, you're going through difficulties who we are as fallen people, right? You and I know that the internal struggles, the mental struggles, the, the struggles that we have, Solomon says in Ecclesiastes that the day of our death is better than the day of our birth. And that's only true for those who know the Lord. Meaning that when I die, if I know Jesus, I'm going to a perfect paradise. And it's weird that a room full of people are going to come together and cry that I'm in glory. Right? And I've left all the bills for them to pay. <laughs> right? See, it seems funny. But we're relational creatures, so... I mean, I don't want to make light of our grief that we love one another. But the older you get, I mean, I have a pretty group, big group of uh, people up there that I already know, right? And I'm going home to be with the Lord. Now, in, at the 9 o'clock service, we went through chapter 21, 
which is the first segment of our tour of heaven. If you want to get online, you can check that out later. And so we're going to look at chapter 22 as we pick it up, our tour guide of heaven, part two. Now, as we look at the book of Revelation, there's this incredible fulfillment of everything we lost back in Genesis, right? So look at this list of things that we lost at the fall in Genesis, one, two, three, so to speak, and everything that we regain. In Genesis versus a revelation, heaven and earth are created in Genesis 1. We get a new heavens and a new earth in Revelation 21. The sun is created in Genesis 1, and we have no more sun or the need of it in Revelation 21. Night is established in Genesis 1, and we know there will be no more night in Revelation 22. The sea is created in Genesis 1, and there is no more sea in Revelation 21. The curse is announced in Genesis 3, and there is no more curse announced in Revelation 22. Death enters history in Genesis 3, and no more death in Revelation chapter uh, 21. Driven from the tree of life in Genesis 3, and we have the access renewed to the tree of life in Genesis or Revelation 22. There is sorrow and pain begin in Genesis 3, and no more tears or pain in Revelation 21. That's why heaven is heaven. Everything we lost, you guys, you ever ask yourself on those really difficult days or weeks or years, it shouldn't be this hard. <laughs> it just shouldn't be this hard. Marriage shouldn't be this hard. Raising kids shouldn't be this hard. The workplace shouldn't be this hard. It just shouldn't be this hard. That's because we live in a fallen condition from what God designed and created this life to be. And so the restoration of those things, that's why we long for heaven. Heaven's not just a destination, folks. Heaven is a motivation. I'm stoked about heaven. Now, I'm not afraid to die, but I've shared with you, I'm not very excited about the process. Like, I'm not excited at all about the process of how I'm going to die. Because, you know, there's an easy way to die and a hard way to die. Did you know that? The easy way for me to die is suddenly, bam, I'm with Jesus. Right? Heart attack, aneurysm, car wreck, boom, I'm, I'm gone, right? And I'm just like, out of here. I'm in heaven. Because to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord immediately, in a nanosecond. But that's the hard way for my loved ones because, oh, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. I didn't get to have that reconciliation. Oh, I, oh, I, oh, 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 oh. Like they feel like because we go suddenly, it's easiest for you, but it's the hardest for the family. But if that's in reverse, the doctor says, you got nine months of torture, right? You're going to piece by piece, part by part, through the surgeries, through the chemo, through the whatever. That's the hardest for me, but it would be the easiest for my family because they slowly grieve through the process and say goodbye a whole bunch, so much so that when you're finally gone, they go, oh, they're finally no longer suffering. So there's an easy way and a hard way. But whether it's easy or hard, it's an appointment that every single one of us are going to keep. And there are some of us in this room that will not be with us at this time next year, statistically, and right, at, right now, prophetically. Somebody over here in this corner, I can, you know, I'm just teasing. <laughs> just, just, just teasing. Boom, you're going to heaven. <laughs> Get right with Jesus, right? But there's also four ways to look at the book of Revelation. 
as you interpret it, and you're going to have a smattering of all these different influences if you've been around church life in this sense. And that is, there's the allegorical view or the non-literal view that when you go through the book of Revelation, it's just all of these you know, metaphors and pictures and illustrations of good versus evil and, and good conquers evil in the end. And if a hundred different preachers preach through the book of Revelation with a allegorical, non-literal view, they're, they're going to come up with just all kinds of ideas about what it's all about. Then there's the preterist view, which means to be concerned with old things. The preterist uh, theological perspective believes that all these things were pretty much fulfilled in the first century difficulties that the church had in the first century. And then there's the historical view that those uh, events we find in the book of Revelation are basically fulfilled in a historical manner, but nobody can really agree upon those things because there's things that are in this book that you cannot align with any kind of historical evidence whatsoever. Then there's the futuristic view, and that's the view I personally hold, and because I have a microphone, it will be the one declared today. <laughs> if you want to declare your vote view, go get you a microphone in a congregation, and you can declare it, though I did have some people in the earlier service declare it one-on-one -on -one with me vehemently. <laughs> the way it goes, right? So the futuristic view has this view that basically from chapter 4 through the rest of the book of Revelation, it's all future. It's all in the future. I believe we're on the doorstep of all these things prophetically lining up, and that's my personal persuasion. But the thing that we want to look at this, and, and I, I try to encourage people in God's word when the plain sense of what is being said seems to be straightforward and literal, then just take it that way, right? If there's metaphors and imagery, then you have to figure that out. This is a little adage that will keep you away from a lot of bizarre theology. If the plain sense of the passage makes good sense, seek no other sense lest you come up with nonsense. Does that sound good? Does that make sense? Okay. All right. So as we look at Revelation chapter 22, we're just going to roll through these different dimensions of it because heaven's a place that we know something, but we don't know everything about it. And we looked at the earlier uh, service about chapter 21, and I just thought it'd be fun to do these two chapters at the end of the year. And I want, it's my job as a pastor to have the most well-informed, taught congregation possible so that when you get to heaven, you don't show up like a country bumpkin. Like, oh, wow, I didn't know it was going to be like this at all. You're going to ride there and go, our pastor just took us right through that. There's, there, there's the streets of gold, and here's the river of life and the tree of life. Look at those Shekinah berries hanging out there. He told us all about them, right? So... As we roll through this, starting at verse 1, we see a river of life. And this is so refreshing just to even say it, but it says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. There's this refreshing water that is in heaven. And throughout the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, there's this imagery of springs and water and refreshment because you see... In all civilizations, pure drinking water are vital. Drinkable water is vital. And we're so spoiled that you don't think that anymore. When I was growing up, we had a couple of different homes, and, and I've moved so many times, close to 50 times in my life. And so 
a couple of those homes had actual springs of water that were the source of the homes. And there would be, there was a place that obviously the, the pump brought it into the house, but then there was the exposed spring outside. And you could go and just put your face in the water and drink the springs. And around the springs, watercress grows. And if you're not familiar, it's just like a vegetation that you can eat right at the spring. And so when I think of these refreshing waters, I think of just being a kid and loving to drink from the artesian well at one home and the springs from another home that we lived on this canyon rim and the springs ran from our house right over to the canyon rim. And there's so much refreshment, but there's a spiritual refreshment that all these things are pointing towards, towards heaven. You see, for you and I, the Holy Spirit is the earnest, the Bible says. It's the down payment. It's like when you have that special touch from God's Spirit and you feel full of his love, you feel full of his joy, you feel full of his peace, that's a little bit of what heaven's going to be like forever. When we come together here, you see, it's the only time in the week where we're the majority. You go out in the world, you go to work five days a week, you're the minority, and you're the whatever label they want to put on you. And we come together, and this, this place is refreshing to us. It's the work of God's Spirit within our hearts. But what dulls that? What blunts that for you and I? It's my own fallen nature, Right? I still have a sinful nature I struggle with. I still think thoughts that I shouldn't. I still struggle with things that I don't want to struggle with. Like Paul says in Romans chapter 7, that which I want to do, I don't end up doing. And that which I don't want to do, that's what I'm doing. Sounds like your New Year's resolution, doesn't it? Right? Some of you want to lose that 20 pounds and you have made a New Year's resolution. You are not going to be as fluffy next year as you were this year. Right? you got the fluff going on, but you've been making that resolution for 20 years, about that 20 pounds, and that 20 pounds is say, hello, here I am. It's still hanging on. Why is it that we can't have more victory? Why is it we can't have more of heaven? Why is it we can't bring more of heaven down to our hearts? Why is that? Do you ever long for that? Do you ever long just to bask in the goodness of God and be refreshed? That's what is being talked about here to give us a glimpse, to give us a taste, to, to let us know that this is what is waiting for us. This is what is waiting for us. We have a bizarre custom, as I said. We get together when somebody goes to glory. We know they're with Jesus. We know they love Jesus with all their heart. And we get together and cry. Now, we miss them. That's why we're shedding these tears. But don't cry for them. Don't cry for them. As I said, they went to glory and they left all the bills for you to pay, right? They're with the Lord. Now, there's not only the refreshing water, but there's a tree of life. In verse 2, it says, it, flow, it flowed down the center of the main street. That's the river of life. And each side of the river grew a tree of life bearing 12 crops of fruit with a fresh crop each month. The leaves were used for medicine to heal the nations. So we have a river of life. We have a tree. There's some... Uh, theological language issues, like is it one tree that grows and reaches both sides? Is it, is it a grove of trees of life? And then it gives us uh, human time measurements that each month, we're familiar with this time frame of month, even though heaven is in the eternal realm, it's giving you a, an idea that every month, every 30 days, there's this uh, 12 manner of fruit that grow 
on this tree and that you can eat, you can drink of the river of life, you can eat, you can be refreshed and nourished in heaven. Jesus ate in his resurrected body with his disciples. The angels ate with Abraham back uh, in Genesis chapter 18. And so it appears we don't need to eat, but there's this opportunity to eat. There's also no more curse in verse 3. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and the Lamb will be there, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be written on their foreheads. So we're going to be marked that we are the Lord's property of the living God upon our foreheads. What's that look like? I don't know. You always have to leave some mystery. I'm not a guy that's all tatted up, but I'm going to take that one right there. Put it right there, right? You're not going to get a mark on my right hand or forehead by the Antichrist, but God, you just put whatever you want. Just ink me up, right, up in heaven. But it says there's going to be no more curse. And what is that curse? That curse is when we choose, as Adam and Eve did, to disobey the Lord and then all the consequences. You and I, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 8, the entire creation groans for the redemption of the children of God. The entire creation is groaning for us to be restored. And the older you get, the more groaning you do. <laughs> Bend over and tie your shoes. <laughs> My son-in-law asked me this week, they're here visiting. He says, I had just got up and I had no idea how much I groan and brr, 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 you know, going in there. And he's like, what's going on? Are you okay? And I said, it just takes me a while to get going in the morning. I'm a mouth breather. <sighs> the older you get, more noises come from you. You're groaning for heaven, right? So, but there's going to be no more curse. Why are you struggling in your marriage? Because you live in a fallen, cursed world. Why are you struggling with your children? Because you are fallen, struggling with a fallen, cursed world. Why are you struggling at the workplace and difficulties and challenges everywhere you turn? Because that's the curse that Adam got as he went into the workplace and Eve struggled with the kids in that whole dynamic. The tension that is there, it's built-in tension of a fallen world. And so when we get to there's no more curse there. There's no more conflict there. It's going to be a beautiful thing. If you are breathing, you have conflict in your life. If you're living, you have tension in your life. Tension between your desire and your spouse's desire. Your desire and the children's desire. Your desire and the boss's desire. Your desire and the neighbor's desire. Your desire and Gavin Newsom's desire. Right? There's tension and tyranny, oppression everywhere we look. And it's going to be a nice thing to be delivered from this curse and to be in the very presence of the Lord. We'll worship him, the Father and the Son, and the realm and the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit. There's no more sun in verse 5. And there will be no, more, no night there, no need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them and they will reign forever and ever. The illumination of the Lord, when he said in Genesis 1, he said, let there be light. And that's before he created the sun or the moon. He said, let there be light. His illumination, his, his glory is going to illuminate heaven. No more lies in verse 6. Then the angel said to me, everything you have heard and seen is trustworthy and true. Sounds just like CNN, doesn't it? Everything is trustworthy and true. The Lord God who inspires his prophets has sent his angel to tell his servants what will happen soon. There's going to be this incredible reality. The definition of truth is reality. 
and how disconnected we are today from reality. You look around and there's just this people living in some delusional world and yet in heaven there's no more lies. There's no more misinformation, disinformation, all this garbage that goes on. There's also an expectancy and obedience in verse 7. Look, I am coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of prophecy written in this book. So he says there should be an expectation. There should be this, this anticipation of the Lord's return. And for 2,000 years, this is built into the DNA of Christianity. People say, I had this family member that used to love to uh, use this phrase, you're slower than the second coming of Christ. That's what she would say. And, but the reality is, is that there's always been this built-in expectation. Now, there are all these people that are always naming dates. And you always know, you're like, you're a wacko. It's, we don't know the day or the hour. The Lord's coming sometime, right? We don't know the day or the hour. That's what he told us. As soon as somebody tells me they know the day or the hour, I tell them they're a heretic. <laughs> it doesn't go over well in our relationship, but, you know, it's, it's what's going on. Back in 88, there was this mass craze that went on. It was called 88 Reasons Why Jesus is Coming Back in 88. Anybody, uh, we have any old people in the room? All right. All right. So anyway, this is a big deal back in 1988. And the guy's name, it was fortuitous, was Wise Not. Right? He was not wise. That's his last name, Wise Not. And, and the, all these people in the church were going through this book, and I had this really sweet brother in the Lord came to me and he goes, Rick, this is my last book of 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back and I'll let you borrow it, but you gotta give it right back if you read it. I said, I don't need your stinking book. I said, I got this big book on the authority and it says, I don't know the day or the hour. I said, I don't know what's going on with you and all these crazy people, but it, it's not gonna happen. I could promise you, it's almost like the, like when you nail it down like that, the Lord's go, this is funny, <laughs> right? Up in heaven, the Lord has a sense of humor. And it came and it went, and that friend that was going to borrow, loan me the book, he ran his credit cards to the max, put himself in crushing debt, and took him years to pay off. The guy came out with 89 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 89. It wasn't a bestseller. Can you figure that one out? But there's always going to be these people. But that does not mean because there's wackos naming dates, which you never need to be influenced by, it never negates the Lord can come at any moment. This is built into the DNA because John the Apostle tells us in 1 John, those who have this hope of the Lord coming today purify themselves. I mean, if I think Jesus is coming back today, how am I going to live, right? If I think Jesus is coming back at 5 o'clock tonight, do I think in the morning, man, get up early and crush it with sex, drugs, and rock and roll and get all I can in? No, I'm getting together with some Christians holding hands singing kumbaya. Like, come, Lord Jesus, come. <laughs> Can I just stay in church? Because when I leave church, I get in trouble. <laughs> There's a built-in expectation that has always been there, and it should never be removed. And that's what Christians that struggle with this issue of prophecy, because they've been through those roller coasters of crazy people, they just kind of give up on the whole concept, and you throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's, there's an ex expectancy. You don't have to be afraid. Prophecy is not to scare us, it's to prepare us. And the reality is that, hey, I just want to be, when I go to get up in the morning, I'm ready for Jesus to come. If he comes while I'm eating a bowl of Cheerios, awesome. 
right? If he comes when I go to sleep at night. Because when you're walking with Jesus every day, you're not afraid when he's going to come. You're ready, right? You're just walking with him. It doesn't mean you're perfect. Jesus is not coming for a perfect church. And I'll hear some preachers like, if you're not right, if you're not like, let me tell you, the grace of God, if he's coming for a perfect church, he's never coming. Because you and I are in it, right? If we love Jesus with all of our heart and he's cleansed us with his blood, his grace is sufficient to take us home when he comes. And so he tells us, look, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming soon. Blessed are those who obey the words of the prophecy written in this book. Now, this book is the only book. It has seven blessings in it, if you know anything about it. The book of Revelation is the only book built in with blessings. Like, you're going to be blessed if you keep the words of this prophecy. And so what's that mean? It means that the book of Revelation has a prominence that brings blessing to your heart. And so I want to obey, and I pay attention to it. And we'll see, there's a heavy warning at the end of this as well. But then we have on blunder instead of on wonder. John's seeing some amazing visions. In verse 8 it says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw all these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said, no, don't worship me. I am a servant of God, just like you and your brothers the prophets, as well as all who obey what is written in this book. Worship only God. Then he instructed me, do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. So John's in such awe. This is the second time this has happened to John. He's fallen down and worshipped whoever's showing him the vision. And this is a, a temptation we have as humans, right? Some person brings a heavy revelation. And I know people that have pastor worship. I promise you, you do not want to worship pastors. I am one, and my wife will tell you, you do not want to worship me. <laughs> promise you, and if she won't convince you, my children will convince you, don't worship my dad. He's a sinner saved by the grace of God, just like you. But sometimes I had a friend who was a pastor, and he was so into this other pastor, a very big, prominent guy actually in this area, and he said, I had to repent recently, and him and I were going to a pastor's luncheon. It was a community luncheon, and we would ride together. And we had different eschatologies, so it was our fun tit-for-tat all the time talking about these things. And, and he said, you know, I had to repent recently, Rick, because of what I was doing. And he told me about this pastor that came out with this book. He said, you know, when I read my Bible, I read my Bible on my knees. And he said, when I started reading this guy's book, I started reading it on my knees and underlining it, highlighting it. And he goes, the Lord convicted me and said, don't do that. Don't do that. He's just a man, just like me. John has this blunder, but then the individual says, worship God and do not seal up the prophetic words in this book, for the time is near. You'll hear some preachers, some Christians say, the book of Revelation is a sealed book. They're applying a, a declaration that was given to Daniel in the book of Daniel. Daniel wanted to know about these future prophetic things that were revealed to him, and the angel said, hey, that's sealed up for the time of the end. You and I are at the time of the end, and it's all revealed, okay? It's all available for us. And so don't seal this up. Don't avoid this. Don't avoid God's word in any aspect, from Genesis to Revelation. There's also a startling reality, because with the Lord coming soon, it says in verse 11, let the one who is doing harm continue to do harm. Let the one who is vile continue to be vile. Let the one who is righteous continue to live righteously. Let the one who is holy continue to be holy. Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning of the end, the Lord Jesus says. And he says, let the one who's doing harm continue. Let the one who is vile continue or the one who is righteous and holy. You go, wait, 
The Bible always calls somebody living in a sinful lifestyle to repent, right? Repent, get right. And those who are doing good, it encourages you not to grow weary in well-doing in your life. So why would this passage tell us? Because in the context of the Lord coming soon, even for some of us here, here you are. You came to church. I don't know why you showed up. People come to church for all kinds of reasons. It's Christmas. You're staying with somebody. They go to church. You just have to do it. Right? There's all kinds of reasons people go to church. Not necessarily because you want to, just because there's some kind of influence on your life to do so. But if you're living in a vile, sinful life, and, G- and, and you're just going to continue in that, and Jesus comes tomorrow or a year from now or 10 years from now or 100 years from now, you're just determined to live in your life. Right? No, nobody convinced you. Only the Holy Spirit can do a work in your life to want to turn you to repentance to God. Now, I lived a very vile, harmful life, so I understand It's not talking about us who have repented of our terrible lives because otherwise we would have no congregation here today because that's all of us, right? We have repented. We have come to Jesus. Now we want to walk with him. We're not perfect, but we're just growing in our walk with God. But the thing is that the Lord's like, you know, if if you're determined to live in your sin, will you just continue on? I'll be here pretty soon. And when I come, I'm going to repay everybody for their life of faith, or their life of sin. I'm coming, my rewards are with me. The reward of blessing, or the reward of judgment. I'll be here pretty soon. So why don't you just continue to live the lifestyle you're living, and see what, how that all turns out. It's kind of startling, right, when I think about it once again. Have you ever thought about, when the Lord comes, what do I wanna find myself doing? Well, I have had this, I'd rather not be on the toilet. I mean, that's just one of those like simple, like. <laughs> Weird preacher things. I don't, I don't want to be on the toilet when Jesus comes. Even though I guess I get new clothes. Hopefully, you know, my pants aren't pulled down. But, but the reality is, like, what, what do you want to, you know, when he finds me, I want to be doing something good for the Lord. I don't want to be loved. Amen. I, I, want to, I want to be loving my family. I want to be loving the people around me. I want to be a blessing. I want to be beneficial to the people in my life and, and, and just be ready for the Lord to come at any time. I don't want to be doing vile things or harmful things to other people, right? So we need the Lord's help and grace and all of that. There's also true, uh, true face access in verse 14. Blessed are those who wash their robes, uh, New King James. There's a, a Greek word that's a little... Uh, can be translated either way, or do his commandments, they will be permitted to enter through the gates of the city and eat the fruit from the tree of life. Outside the city are the dogs, the sorcerers, or those who are addicted to drugs. It's pharmakia, where we get our word pharmaceutical drugs. The sexually immoral, the murderers, the idol worshipers, all who love to live a lie. So there's this blessing of those who have been washed in the blood of Jesus, and we have these new robes, uh, we're going to be permitted to come through the gates into heaven. I mean, how many of us have heard the, uh, the pearly gates? You know, there's St. Peter at the pearly gates. Well, by the way, St. Peter's not at the pearly gates, and you're not going to ask Pete if you can get in. Pete's just thankful he got in himself. So uh, <clears throat> there's an angel at each one of the 12 gates of this heavenly city, as we saw in chapter 21, and you can check out that message online. So we come by faith. 
the true faith. Jesus said, in that day, there will be many that come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all these things? And Jesus said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Has that ever baffled you, that whole passage? It's because these people are coming, and I've been religious my whole life, but they never surrendered to the finished work of Jesus on the cross. They're religious people that think good works is how you get there. Churches are filled with people that are determined to count and bank on their good works to get them into heaven. It's just not going to work. It's just not going to happen. There's only one way, and that is through simple faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross as the only means of my salvation and my entrance into heaven. But who's going to be on the outside? Isn't this startling? We're talking about heaven, and he tells us who's going to be on the outside. So this, these would be the people in outer darkness. These are the people in hell, the lake of fire. It says, outside the city are the dogs. Now, there's going to be a little old lady with a precious puppy. And she's going to tell me, oh, no. Will my little dog not, you know, people ask me all the time, will my dog go to heaven? I have no idea. There's creatures in heaven. I don't want to devastate your world today. There's only one passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that it says, the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of animals goes downward, meaning that they die and their life is over. I don't know what that means, but there's horses in heaven. There's these cool creatures in heaven. I don't know. They got some heaven variety of Bernie Doodle. I don't know what they got up there. I love that you love your dogs. But this is talking about people that live like dogs, not your dog. Some of your dogs live better than people live. Right? Some of your dogs are like angels. They greet you. Isn't a dog wonderful? You, every t- no matter how bad your day is when they come. <laughs> like, wow, my spouse doesn't even get that excited to see me when I come home at the end of the day. Dogs are awesome in that, in that regard. But here it's talking about humans that live like dogs. They're living as an animal, fulfilling all of the lust of their flesh, the lust of their eyes, and the pride of life. And they have no real interest in spiritual things. Therefore, they're outside. It, it, this is fascinating to me that people on planet Earth that want nothing to do with Jesus, nothing to do with church, nothing to do with Christians, nothing to do with God's word, and yet when you ask them, when you die, where do you want to go? They say heaven. And I say, well, why would you, you, you want nothing to do with Jesus here, you want nothing to do with Christians here, you want nothing to do with church here, you want nothing to do with God's words because it's him and you in morally because you want to do whatever you want to do. And yet, and you ask them, why would you want to do that? You want nothing to do with God. And it's always simple. Well, the alternative's not very good. Right? I'm going to hell. And can I tell you, brothers and sisters, with the deepest love that I have is that heaven's a real place, and so is hell. And what you decide about Jesus in your own personal walk determines whether you go to heaven or hell. It determines what neighborhood you're going to hang out in for eternity. Not for 70 or 80 years, but forever forever. Well, 
We have the God-man. Jesus speaks again in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this message for the churches. Jesus is talking to us, brothers and sisters. I am both the source of David and the heir to his throne. I am the bright and morning star. He's the God-man. This is the way Jesus says, basically, uh, (laughs) I came from David, and yet I'm David's Lord. Jesus uh, turned some questions on their head to the Pharisees, and he says, you know, how come David says, the Lord said to my Lord, and he goes through this whole process because God created David, and yet through the genetic line, God gave David a promise that his son would sit on the throne and be the Messiah. One of the terms or phrases that Jesus is called all through the New Testament or the Gospels is son of David, son of David, son of David. So he's not only the creator but then he's the God-man. Jesus was fully God and fully man. And, and the mystery of this incarnation is, is quite fascinating. Then we, uh, I want you to know you've been invited here today in verse 17. The spirit and the bride, the Holy Spirit, and us, the church, the bride, say come. So I just want to make sure you get the full invitation because it says the bride's going to say that. On the count of three, we're all going to say come. One, two, three. There we go. You've just been invited by the bride, the church, to come to heaven. And we're not going to say, one, two, three, go to hell. Because who wants to say that? Nobody wants to say that, right? (laughs) I think we should start a whole new group of people. Because people are always saying, why don't you go to hell? Why don't you go to hell? Why don't you go to hell? I think we should just everybody leave this week. And every time something happens, go, why don't you just go to heaven? Why don't you just go go right up there to heaven? Get up there to heaven. I don't think it's going to catch on right? Because it's a place of glory. You'd only want people you really love to go to heaven because you, that's why they t- you tell people that you don't like who you want them to go. That's anyway. Some language things are never going to catch on. I get that. I understand that. But it says, let everyone who hears this, you've heard it, maybe you're now going to believe in Jesus, and then you're going to invite other people to come. Let me just ask you, who are the people that you really love in your life that heaven just won't be heaven without them? Is it your children? Is it your grandkids? Is it your neighbor? Is it your brother, sister? Mom and dad, who do you want to be in heaven? And right now you know they're not walking with the Lord, and so you're praying for them. You, you want them to come. Let everyone who is thirsty come, because there's refreshment in your relationship with Jesus. He will refresh you. He will strengthen you. He will encourage you here and now with living waters of his Holy Spirit, but then forever and eternity. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. The Lord's open invitation to everybody. Hey, why don't you just come? Why don't you just come and surrender to Jesus? People say, well, you know, I've, I've just tried everything. They go through this whole list. I'll meet somebody and they're 60 years old. They'll rehearse to me their entire dramatic story. Like they're on the fourth marriage and they had all this tragedy and had all this death and had all this bondage and alcoholic and drug out and they go through this whole thing. And I look at them and just like, you know, dude, you have tried everything. Why don't you just give Jesus a chance? Right? What do you got to lose? <laughs> right? Isn't that kind of one of those mysteries like, what do you got to lose, man? You've lost everything. You got nothing left and you're, you're holding on, holding on to my integrity. <laughs> Your integrity? I guess, you know, if the core of your being wants nothing to do with God, I, I guess you could call that your unsaved, lost integrity. He got nothing to lose. 
You've tried to do marriage for 15 years on your own. And your marriage stinks. Why don't you try it God's way? Why don't you just read in God's word and see what he says to husbands and to wives? You know, he's got, this is like the manual. He created the whole dynamic. You've been trying to raise kids. And it's been hard. Why don't you try to do it God's way? Right? You instruct them. And then he's created this incredible padded spot. Right? So that they can learn through the seat of understanding. That's called abuse now, but God says this is good wisdom, right? If you discipline your child, he will not die. He'll sound like he's dying, right? Even before they get the swat on the behind, ah, they go crazy. Like, I haven't even touched you yet. <laughs> and they're going crazy. Why don't you try things God's way? That's the invitation here today, guys. Just try things God's way. See what he does. Just do an experiment for the next year. I'm going to love Jesus Love his word, get plugged in, do what he says, and I'm going to see what the fruit will be. And Jesus says this in the Gospel of John chapter 7. It's not a verse that you usually see up on somebody's wall. He says, those who do my words will discover the truth of it. That's a loose paraphrase. But what he's saying, if you'll do what I ask you to do, you will see the fruitful results of it. You'll see it. Just works. God's way works. Here's one of the heaviest warnings for those who would tamper with God's word in verses 18 and 19. You've been warned here. You've been invited. Praise God. You're all invited. Let's go to heaven together. Now you've been warned. I solemnly declare to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy written in this book, if anyone adds anything to what is written here, God will add to that person the plagues described in this book. Whoa, did you get that? You're going to add to God's word? He goes, okay. I'm going to deliver the plagues to your life for adding to my word. If anyone removes any of the words from this book of prophecy, God will remove that person's share in the tree of life and in the holy city that are described in this book. Is that a heavy warning? Some people say, well, this is only a warning for the book of Revelation. That's true. But the same uh, warning is in the Old Testament in two different passages as well. So this is the third time. Don't, don't add to God's words. It's already strong enough. I find this in churches. There are people that God's word's strong enough. Why would you become a legalist and add more stuff to it? Right? It's already strong enough. The way's already narrow. It's not your job to make it more narrow. Okay? It's narrow enough. But then there are people that want to take away from God's word. I don't think it really means that. I just, it doesn't mean that. When it talks about sexual immorality or it talks about, I mean, now we look today at sexuality about the, the gay lifestyle or uh, the whole transgender craziness that is going on. And you just say, it's all, that's sin. The only thing that the Lord says, and it's very narrow, you guys. I didn't come up with it. I'm just giving the book report. Right? My sexuality can only be expressed in marriage with one woman. That is what God's plan is. Have we failed in that? Many have failed in that. I'm just not saying that we haven't failed. I'm saying that's God's plan. So we need to repent and pursue God's plan. So everything outside of that, the plethora of sexual expression that's out there today, all of it, everything outside of that, outside of the covenant of marriage, is missing the mark, and it's sin. So why would you take away when God speaks strongly about that, 
as I've had pastors, I mean, pastors tell me that, you know, homosexuality is not sin. I'm like, what Bible are you reading, dude? And, you know, launch, launch into this hyper-intellectuality about, well, the Greek religion. And I'm like, dude. You can put lipstick on that pig, but it's still a pig. People don't understand my perspective as a preacher. I am hypersensitive and hypervigilant to be faithful to declare this book because I'm going to have to stand accountable for that. I'm not taking anything away from it. I'm not adding anything to it. I'm just declaring it like it is. We're going through a whole chapter. All I've done is read a few verses and talk a little bit and say, I think this is what it means. Right? I'm not trying to add to it. I'm not trying to take away. I'm not ashamed of it. I'm not ashamed of God's word. God's, let God be true and every man a liar. If I hear your opinion versus God's truth, who do you think I'm going to stick with? Right? I'm going to stick with God's truth. But we are under such a pressure cooker right now, you guys, in our culture. Right? You post a Bible verse on your Facebook and the attack that can come, right? Unless it's Jeremiah 29, 11. Everybody wants to hear that, right? I know the plans I have for you. It's for a future and a hope. And even the biggest pagan is like, oh, I love that. It's got no plans for me. <laughs> it's, it's only when God's sense of morality corrals people that they can't just do whatever they want, that they attack. So, one day, I'll stand before the Lord, and I want to be able to say, hey, I just opened it up. I just read it and did the best I could to explain it, and then it's up to y'alls to do what you want to do. I did my part. Do you know this is a 50-50 proposition? I prepared, I preach, you hear, you listen, and what you choose to obey, that's between you and God. People come to church like they're some kind of connoisseur. They come like this is some kind of, you know, uh, Wall Street experiment. They come as critics, like Siskel and Ebert. <laughs> they come and say, that was a good one. That was a bad one. I wouldn't have used that illustration. I wouldn't have done this. I wouldn't have done that. Right? They have, you, people, they, they come like consumers that are looking for a product that they can endorse. But we are communers, not consumers. And we are coming to commune with God and to commune with his spirit and to commune with his word and conform ourselves to what his heart is. So, so the reality of our own responsibility, it's your walk with God does not depend on how well the preacher did. That's between you and Jesus, right? I did my best, and it's not that great, I confess. <laughs> I told the Lord he should have picked something but else. He said, here you are. This is what you have. I'm sorry. I'm from Idaho, and I have a Levi jacket on. I don't know why you'd listen to me. <laughs> but I just want to share with you, 
that whatever I am sharing of the truth of God's word, he is worthy to hear. He is worthy to speak into your life. We have a farewell and a promise and a prayer. He who is, uh, is the faithful witness to all these things says, yes, I am coming soon. This coming soon, and when people, they misunderstand this, this is mentioned multiple times in the book of Revelation, coming soon. They go, it's been 2,000 years. He hasn't come soon. It means when he comes, the Greek word here is tachy. It's not tachy like that was not classy. It's the word where we get tachometer. You know, if you're in a car that has a tachometer and you rev the engine, the tach goes. It means when he comes, these things are going to go boom, 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 like a tachometer. So he's coming quickly. Amen. John's, like he hears Jesus say, Yes, I'm coming soon. He goes, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That's my prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's holy people. May his blessing be upon your life. Let's pray. Jesus, you're so good. And we're not, and that's pretty much the story. Uh, We're sticking to it. We worship you. And you said you're coming soon, and... And so, Lord, I pray that you would find us just looking to you, seeking you, though, uh, clumsily and uh, imperfectly, Lord, our hearts are oriented towards you. Our love is oriented towards you. Our eyes are on you. Our desire is for you. Lord, the weakness in our lives, the weakness in a congregation, the weakness in a church, the weakness in uh, the history of those things, Lord, can be distracting. But you through it all, Lord, you are perfect. You are lovely. You are beautiful. You are praiseworthy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Lord, we worship you in spirit and in truth. And we pray that you would meet each one of our hearts. And Lord, I pray for that soul that's here right now. Today's that day that they're gonna open their heart to believe in you and receive you. If you're here and once we just have our our hearts still before the Lord, if you wanna open your heart and just ask Jesus to write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, to forgive you of your sin, to wash you, with his precious blood to declare you righteous in his sight. I just want to invite you to pray with me right now. Just open your heart. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me of my sin. I've been so far from you. And my heart's been so hard. Please forgive me, Lord. Wash me with your blood. Fill me with your spirit. Strengthen me with your grace to walk with you today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.